So it is my deep pleasure. <laughs> my it is a pleasure, my deep pleasure, like a pizza. Uh, to welcome to episode sixty-nine, Jay Christopher King. Now, Jay, this is your four. I think this is your four. You know, meeting up like this. Your four. Yeah, the word? I think Guest, gestation. Well, gestation. Sure. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. I appreciate uh, you asking me back to the show. It's been a few minutes. I, um, it's been a I appreciate time. it. It's it's nice to for it to be the fourth time that I've appeared on your show. That's wonderful. I always love the conversations with you. And it's great to know that it's uh, lucky number 69. Um, yeah, that right. holds a lot of significance to a lot of people for various reasons. Um, and uh, I appreciate being back. It's good. Very good. Well, you're uh, uh, most repeat guest does that make sense most repeat guest i think you know what i mean sure yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay so so jay and also by the way just a quick word jay and i've spoken to you about this but i need to apologize and explain myself to the audience my loyal audience who have been uh intermittently getting in contact with me saying what's the deal what's happened to paranormal blip well basically you know there's no secret i'm an open book the thing is that was a bit like um, Hugh Grant, that for a few, a few beats of that. <laughs> Do you get that? Get a bit of Hugh. I, I, I yeah, yeah. I exactly, found it. Yeah. I, I heard it. I'm yeah. an open book, and um, essentially, I've been just too busy. I mean, there's no mystery around it. I've been so unbelievably busy, but uh, given the opportunity to speak to Jay, I grabbed it with both hands. So I'm back for sixty nine, and hopefully. You know how it works in my life. I'm constantly, constantly, constantly talking to people about, you know, their own extraordinary experiences, and I'm hoping to set up a couple of interviews with people in the next, in the not too distant future. Let's put it like that. So, um, Jay, lots to talk about. Um, let's start, if it's okay, with the Soul Foundation. Um, sure. So you were one of a, was it about 300? I read about 300 people. Something uh, like that, yeah. Yeah, these kind of invited guys that, that turned up there. Mm -hmm. So how, how was it? Tell us all about it. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, one thing, one thing that I want to mention um, at the outset, yes, I was invited, though, you know, I think it's important to, to remind people or for folks that don't know, well, A, for context, for those that, that haven't been paying attention to Twitter or X or whatever those ways these days, uh, or have been listening to other YouTube shows or whatnot, that um, the Soul Foundation, it's an initiative um, started by Gary Nolan and uh, a man named Peter Scafish, who's actually an anthropologist. Um, and... Also, there are a couple other people that have been involved and are also still involved. A guy named Jonathan Berta, who is a really pleasant guy, um, who works in kind of robotics and AI a bit. And, um, and also uh, Chris Mellon has been involved a little bit in, in the kind of formation of the Soul Foundation on a more informal level. And um, Dave Grush himself uh, has been involved a little bit and in kind of the formation of uh, of what happened with the Soul Foundation, and so it's based around UAP research and policy initiatives, and um, and it's it was hosted the the first proposed annual symposium 
was hosted out at Stanford University, which of course is one of the most, uh, you know, well-respected institutions and regularly is in kind of like the top five and usually in one of the first few slots in, in the United States anyway, in terms of academic institutions for a number of different reasons, engineering, medicine, uh, a, a range of fields, computing being a huge one. And, um, and so uh, that's out in Palo Alto, um, which is kind of like the center Silicon Valley. Um, and so contextually, there's, it's, it's an interesting place to be, you know, um, yeah. it's been a while since I've been out to Stanford and it's been a while since I've been out to Silicon Valley. Um, uh, and so it was interesting to go out there, but I do want to mention at the outset that, that um, people had to apply to be invited. And so there was a portal on the Soul Foundation site that was open for a while. And for those that kind of follow the issue very closely, you had to, no matter who you were, you had to kind of enter in some of these fields and just say who you were and why you're interested in the field and what you do that might be relevant to why you would be invited. You had to apply. And then people were invited from that. Everybody had to apply. And so I think that I've seen, I've seen a little bit of kind of you know, derision or animosity from like, why were these people invited? And well, we applied, we applied. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you didn't apply, you weren't invited. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's an important distinction. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think that everybody that applied got in, but 100% of the people that did not apply, you know, did not get invited to the Soul Foundation Symposium. So I think that's important to remember, you know. Yeah. Um, so along those lines, so I applied months ago and I, and I was actually, I was concerned. I knew that it was going to be a tight event and um, uh, jumping ahead a bit, you know, and jumping back, you know, we're having a, another Inquiry Anomalous conference uh, co-hosted by me, James Iandoli and Leslie Kane uh, later this week. And we had already talked to Peter Scafish, again, one of the Soul Foundation founders. Uh, and had booked him as a speaker as kind of one of the first times that he'd be kind of talking to the community about his thought and like his background and his interests within the field, which seemed like an important thing to do. But even having gone back and forth with Peter for months about, about him coming out to do the conference and where we were going to get him a hotel and his flights coming in for Berlin and all this stuff, I still wasn't sure whether I was going to get into the Soul Foundation conference or not, um, because it was a pretty hot ticket, even if you applied, right? Um, but you know, I was I was pretty um, I was I was very happy to see that that I could I I got invited and that I heard from some of some of my friends and colleagues in the space that that they got invited as well, and um, and so even though I've kind of spent a inordinate amount of money, um, more money than, than I could necessarily afford uh, this year already in like getting myself out to conferences and, and, and kind of doing my own work in the field. Um, I, I couldn't resist. I had to go out there. Um, and I'm glad that I did. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad that I did. And so I went out there and I, um, there's so many wonderful people, you know, the, the speaker list was incredible. And 
you know, just looking around the audience in terms of people that I know in the space, like Kelly Chase, who I'm working with on a new docu-series and Jordan Flowers, who's also working on that docu-series. But then, you know, other folks like Dave Foley, who's a, who's very interested in UAP issues and is a comedian that I love and that I've loved for a long time. And he's become a friend, a bit of a friend. He lives out here and and uh, it was great to great, great to see him there and uh, his podcast partner, Tom, and like Micah Hanks and Chrissy Newton from The Debrief were kind of around the audience and a bunch of other folks in the space that, you know, when you just kind of looked around, it wasn't just the people who were on stage, but it, it, we were surrounded by folks that have been making an impact in the community recently and for a while, mm. you know, and, um, and that was, so it felt, it felt great that way. It also felt historic because it was a symposium that was presented by the Stanford School of Medicine. Mm -hmm. um, so that felt like another kind of level here, right? Where Absolutely. we've had like the archives of the impossible at Rice University, another elite institution here. And so having, you know, things like Project Galileo at Harvard, having the archives of the impossible at Rice, and now the Soul Foundation Initiative kind of being presented through Stanford University, it feels like we're really in kind of a new era in terms of the cultural conversation regarding anomalous experiences and UAP issues from an academic framework. I'll pause there and let you kind of reframe where you want to talk about the conference. I guess. Okay, yeah, thank you for that uh, opportunity <laughs> for me. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, one thing is that it's interesting you talk about how everybody had to apply because that directly contradicts this sense that some people have of you know it being a clique and very interesting and informative that you were actually in contact with Peter Scafish but even even though those negotiations and the conversations were ongoing in relation to your event uh, on Saturday which we will obviously talk about um you know that, that he didn't like give you a nudge and a wink and say oh yeah you know see you see you down at Seoul you know, so there's that, and there is a kind of that. That also adds to the sense of it being a kind of uh, academic proposition. You know, they are interested in what people can bring to the conversation in any kind of academic uh, conference. You know, you're interested in inviting people that can kind of you know extend the conversation. You know, it's not just open to anyone. So that makes a lot of sense to me, um, and good that to kind of burst the bubble of. Uh, you know, kind of gossip mongers as well. So, the, the how how long were you there for? for you, were you there for the for the duration? Uh, well, uh, well, yes, I was. I got in. Okay, so the conference started on Friday. Yeah. The main conference was only two days. It was Friday and Saturday, mm. and it was completely blocked out. the The first day started at eight fifteen a.m. and went until about 8 p.m. So it was about 12 hours, um, including like an hour long reception at the end of the night. And then the next day it was similar. It was, so there were, it was a pretty, a pretty uh, relentless and heavy pace, yeah, you know, yeah. more, more so than, you know, our casual UFO conferences where, you know, we have a few talks and then people have coffee for an hour or whatever, yeah, and then they go yeah, back eventually. Yeah. You know, this was this was a pretty intense situation and it was dealing with, you know, intense topics um, with deep thought um, that really yeah. it felt um, it felt good to, to see 
these issues being dealt with in such a serious way. I mean, I'm used to that myself in general, but yeah. contextually within an academic institution like that, and then seeing people um, that have been so involved in in the military and government initiatives, sure. But then also people that have been working in academic and independent and 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 kind of startup initiatives as well. Yeah. And then other folks, I know a couple of people that are writers, just, you know, fiction and nonfiction writers that were invited to be kind of representative of, of the kind of more of, of literature and the humanities. And right. there are other folks involved in religious study and philosophy and anthropology and things like that, that, yeah. that were represented as well. And so it was a curious mix in a way, because you don't normally have an academic, even within an academic institution, you don't often have a symposium that has people from so many fields descending in one place, uh -huh, yeah. right? And so there are a lot of kind of different sensibilities um, represented among the group. And that felt good. It felt good to have that many folks around. Yeah. Um, you know, when I go down to the, to the Rice University conferences, there's a certain kind of sensibility that pervades it's still very wide and you have people from very different backgrounds, different cosmologies, different ethnic backgrounds, um, you know, different academic backgrounds uh, descending on rice for those situations. But you're still mainly dealing with people that deal with humanities and social sciences, mm -hmm. uh, though there are some remote viewers and folks like that that do have, of course, you know, that are military vets and things like this. This was a different situation and that you had say like philosophers and writers that might not be too psyched about artificial intelligence sitting right next to somebody that runs an AI firm or something like that, right? Um, and so there are a lot of interesting bedfellows and kind of folks being uh, rubbing elbows together that wouldn't normally, um, which caused, it was, an, it was a really interesting social environment for that reason, I'd say, yeah. And if you look at, you know, with the, couple of weeks removed if you look back at at um the uh, events that you attended the talks that you attended are there a couple of highlights that you can mention not to put you on the spot or anything jay sure yeah jumps out from that that uh, sure few days? i yeah i mean one thing the reference is another kind of a point for some is that Gary and Peter asked people to observe what are called Chatham House rules. And so until the talks are published online, we have to, people that, that participated, people that were invited, agreed to be more oblique about how they refer to specific talks. And so I can speak about the topics that were addressed with yes. great detail, but sometimes I might not be able to say who exactly said what until those videos are are published because people that presented were sometimes talking about sensitive information or things that were, you know, very conditional in some uh, ways. Sure, and, yeah, um, and, and, and so Gary and Peter were able to get some people to speak that might not otherwise want to speak even yeah. possibly um, because they got to have final approval about what would be published to the general public. Because some, some of those conversations, it's easy to get them misinterpreted which I totally understand. And so I'll, I'll observe those, I'll observe that rule because I, I respect what Gary and Peter and others put together. And I, I wanna, I want to, um, 
I want to be by, I want to stand by my word. You know, if yeah, I agreed cool. to do that, then I should do that. Okay. Um, so along those lines though, there, the first day, I can say that in general, in general, um, from the first day before lunch, you know, uh, we had, we were, it's public knowledge that Avi Loeb and Beatrice Villarreal and Kevin Knuth uh, made presentations and, and in general, you know, I really, I appreciate all their work. I think Beatrice is doing great things. Um, I think it's amazing that she has figured out a way to look at the older data in terms of photographic plates from the realm of astronomy to find using new techniques, looking at older records and finding anomalies in the research. She's, she's hit some extraordinary evidence in that regard in general. And I think that she does fantastic work that way. And I look forward to hearing more from her. And I hope that her initiatives receive a lot of funding because they, they have a lot of potential and a lot of weight there. Um, that said, I also really appreciate Kevin Knuth's work. I think he's doing wonderful work. I enjoy him as a human being. Like I have hung out with him a few times. He's fun to hang out with. He's an entertaining person. He's really thoughtful and funny and uh, insightful. And he, he generally speaking, like brings an extraordinary amount of reasonable kind of rational expertise to the situation where in general, you know, not, speci not speaking specifically about his talk that day, but in general, he does a great job of saying like, these are the scientific rules. Like these are the scientific laws that even if you have a bachelor of science, you know, if you have a bachelor of engineering in our system, you would know that, you know, X, Y, and Z are typically the case. Mm -hmm. And then you can use these common laws, these common rules to understand how this, something that is observed here is something extraordinary. Right. And so in general, he has he's he's looked at some of the older data as well and come up with some interesting situations. For example, he really enjoys talking about field effects, right? The field effects of, of UAP. And um, there's been this longstanding observation among um, among uh, people that experiencers, people that have seen close up. Uh, UAP, UFOs, etc. That um, often, when they've been in their vehicles, that that they've stopped, that their cars have stopped, the electricity goes off. You know, this is a very common report, especially when a UAP is kind of low over a car, right? And Kevin was pointing out that the before uh, Kevin has pointed out before in the past, not necessarily at this presentation, but you know, he's pointed out that that. You know, there before cars were computerized, that there were very that there are common systems among almost all vehicles, yeah. and they use common voltages. They had common circuitry, and so knowing what that circuitry was, you know, and knowing that there's like an electric that, and supposing that there's an electromagnetic impact mm -hmm. of the field effects, that you could actually know you know, using already known laws, already known engineering principles, like what kind of electromagnetic field effect it would take, yes. like how much energy it would take for something to automatically stop in a situation like that if it was purely because of a field effect. Yeah, yeah. And it's a relatively simple process. Mm -hmm. And he's like, look, if you've, if you've taken four years of science in college, you could know, you could figure, you could work this out. 
Um, he's said things like that before. And so, you know, the, he, um, one could suppose, for example, that he may have made similar assertions in this presentation. And um, as he has in the past, it would be out of character for him not to. And uh, I just really appreciate that kind of work. I think he does fabulous work for the field and, and, and using common sense and common rules in general to be able to look at and be able to say like, well, it has to be above X, you know, and yeah. things like that yeah, yeah, is yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. So, you know, I, I, I would say from the first day that uh, Kevin Knuth's presentation was great. Um, Gary also did a great presentation that day. Um, Diana Walsh-Pasalka was towards the end of the day, did a fantastic job. And of course, it's always amazing. You know, it's, in, it's incredible. It's getting increasingly rare, but it's always a pleasure and an honor to hear from Jacques Vallée. It's always it, just oh, yeah. seeing the man still walking among us on earth is, is kind of incredible. And, um, and that he still can put together such a thoughtful, bright, lucid, illuminating presentation at his advanced age is not just impressive, it's astonishing. He's an intellectual heavyweight. He'll always be remembered as such. And it was great to hear from him that day. Wow, that's beautiful tribute there to um, Jacques Vallée. How old is he? I, I think he, I believe he's 82 or 83. Wow. Um, that's old. Yeah. I, don't quote me on that, but I think that's what he is. Yeah. The um, presidency next year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, he would qualify by that role. Absolutely. Right? Um, oh, he's, oh yeah. He's 80. I just looked him up. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's French. I, I just looked him up. He's 84, 84 years old. 84. Oh, then it'll get in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay think, so, right? um, well that that sounds amazing and it's really interesting i i i think i heard about the chatham house rules um in relation to the self foundation so yeah, but thank you very much for for that um yeah okay so uh, before we start recording here you and you just then mentioned um kelly so you were mm -hmm. uh working with kelly and you met up with her so this is kelly chase ufo rabbit hole who I mm -hmm. had the, I mean, I, you know, think she's a genius and um, it was absolutely brilliant to speak to her earlier this year. I absolutely loved it. And I was so, um, what's the word? Like, I really felt like I needed to prepare, you know, when you speak to somebody, I mean, you know, when you speak to someone of that, I mean, you, I think you're friends with her, so it might be a bit different, but certainly I was slightly kind of, um, intimidated by her genius you know kind of leading up to that interview um having said that uh you know she was brilliant in the interview and check it out if you haven't seen it although i don't know the episode number but just look it up um so yeah you're working with with her on a, some kind of docuseries is that right that's right. That's absolutely right. And yeah, I agree with you. Kelly is absolutely brilliant. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to be working with her now. Um, yeah, earlier this earlier this summer, near the beginning of the summer, gosh, I, I guess it was around somewhere between the time of archives and um, contact in the desert, I guess it was. Um, 
our friend, our mutual friend, Jordan, who I've known for a while, he's come out to, he lives up in Connecticut. He often comes down to New York city for work. Um, he's been a buddy for a while and he invited Kelly and I, and a few other people, um, up to, up to his, uh, place up in Connecticut for a long weekend, just to basically like talk about what kind of like looking forward, like what we thought would be helpful within ufology and within anomalous studies in general, and like looking at like what's not out there already and what would be helpful initiatives. And so he, he brought in people from different fields that he just knew. And it was such a bright idea. It was such a bright idea. And, and I feel like things like that should happen more often in the field, if possible. Absolutely. People have so little time sometimes and so little money and people have kids like yourself and, you know, things like that. And so it can be hard to get away and that's totally understandable, but we need to take common sense approaches sometimes to these issues and often that involves logging out of social media and resisting the urge to fight with each other and try to be productive in a way and sometimes that involves often that involves getting together and actually you know breaking bread with people and meeting up and so i'm glad i'm really glad that he did that and coming out of that coming out of that conversation coming out of that weekend a few different people that were involved in that in that weekend kind of went away thinking like, oh, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could do that. It was very inspiring. It was, it was wonderful and, and inspiring in, in a grassroots way. And Kelly and I came away with that, came away from that weekend recognizing that there are a lot of opportunities within media that could be helpful in terms of doing something responsible. You know, she does that with UFO Rapid Hole for sure. And you do it with your show as well. Uh, it's important to have an to have people representing a kind of more elevated tone in this space, and and that people really look at this these topics from different frameworks and from different sensibilities, and that takes a range of approaches. Um, we don't have to just settle for three or four different sources of media, you know, even popular media within the space, and it's important to have more. And so. Um, Kelly and I were recognizing that within, within media that covers UFO topics on TV, you generally have two poles. You generally have two poles. One, which is fantastic, and I won't watch all of them, are very grounded programs like Leslie Kane's UFOs Investigating the Unknown, for example, or Encounters, which Amblin and Steven Spielberg put out you know, uh, recently, other shows along those lines, and even projects like Moment of Contact, you know, James Fox's work, uh, in general, things along those lines, projects along those lines, or Randy Nickerson's fantastic aerial phenomenon. Um, those projects are fantastic. And they're been they're largely spe speaking, working under the central idea that they're supposed to prove the case that they're supposed to prove that this actually happened, that they're supposed to show evidence and kind of follow it as if it's a crime scene and an investigation, um, which I think is why so many people that follow uh, crime podcasts have been recently kind of shifting over to ufology, which is a really interesting 
situation that we've been seeing in podcasting recently. But anyway, so like there's this one poll where a bunch of great grounded programs try to prove the case. And then on the other hand, you have we have certain shows that I don't necessarily have to name that are ungrounded, that kind of that come from the central position that there's like a central reality to this to this subject, but they come from an ungrounded place. And so they'll just go around and say, well, that was probably aliens. That was that aliens. That might have been aliens over there. That could have been, you know, historically, you know, like, let's look at every monument that was ever created that seems challenging now and assume that it was aliens. Right. And like without really having the receipts or something like that. And that's, you know, that's its own form of entertainment. And those shows are really popular. And they're, and in many ways, they are working with less challenges because, and maybe they're more, slightly more popular in general because, you know, how many people, Kelly and I were thinking about this, like how many people hate watch UFO programs? How many people watch a UFO program and say, well, this is all bull. Let's see if I can be convinced. Probably not so many, probably not so many people do that. And so we decided that it would be a great idea to, to make a show with grounded experts that, and starting from, from where a lot of shows end, which is that there's probably that there's a fundamental reality to this so that we could kind of unshackle um, experts in the field to get to the really like the deeper issues and really be able to elaborate on their points and, and get to kind of a more realistic and, and uh, perspective that has depth and nuance with regard to kind of where we are now, like, how did we get here? You know, like, how did, how did, how is this hidden for so long? How did we miss this? Were there other, were there other cultures that had this the whole time, you know, situations like that and kind of looking ahead too. So, um, yeah. And so since then, we, we kind of, we were incredibly excited and we've, we've gone kind of full bore into it. And, uh, and now we actually, we actually already started shooting for it. So when we were out in Palo Alto for the Soul Conference, we actually shot out there um, with Whitley Strieber and with Jeff Kripal, who was one of the featured speakers at Soul and uh, Eo Whiteley the space psychologist who Diana Pasolka wrote about recently in Encounters. Uh, we spoke with her and we sat down with Greg Bishop, um, who wrote the great kind of disinformation classic, a classic on disinformation called Project Beta back in the day. Um, and we're going to continue to speak to other people at the Inquire Anomalous Conference and, and, uh, and, and into next year, we're going to be speaking with folks. So we have an array. Just the other day, um, a few days ago, I went over to Leslie Kane's place and recorded with her for the show. Um, so we're really excited about where it's headed, and we and we've been moving quickly. We've been moving very quickly, and yeah. we anticipate having having the first series of it out, the first season of it out, uh, late spring, early summer next year. So it's a pretty quick turnaround time. Yeah, thank you. Well. I mean, obviously, you know, keep us posted on that. That sounds very exciting. Sure will. That sounds absolutely brilliant. And I love the thinking, the idea of people coming to a, a kind of house and discussing mm-hmm. ways, you know, like how you want the future to look. And ways yeah. And that happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's like fundamentally important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you're doing it in a way 
with um, Inquire Anomalous. He said, that's a beautiful, I should become a DJ with those kind of links. Amazing. That was Amazing a really link. good transition. But that was a fantastic transition. Yeah, very good transition. No, no one noticed, especially now, especially in addressing it for about 55 seconds. No, I think. Exactly, exactly. Why don't we take a victory lap on that transition? Let's yeah, just. Yeah, I know, I know. We'll take a take. I'm going to put more lights <laughs> off in my, in my house. <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Your... Did you notice that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, oh, if like really yeah, early. depending on how long we talk, you'll you'll see it. You'll see it happen yeah. over here too. Well, eventually we'll start. We'll just start have to devolve into ghost stories and whatnot. You know what? It's good. getting dark at um, half past four at night. Oh god, mm -hmm. I can't wait for the spring. I'm I'm not a winter. Here person. too. I love Christmas, but I'm not a winter person. Yeah. So, oh, me too. Oh, I'm, really? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Christmas in New York. Oh, I, I, well, I was. Is it as good? I as love Home Christmas Alone and like. It's better than Home Alone too. It's better than Home Alone too. Um, I don't have any problems with Home Alone too, but it is it is pretty magical being in New York this time of year. I yeah. With the lights and the trees and there's and the architecture, you know, it gets oversold a little bit probably in popular culture, but. It does feel pretty special, you know. Nice. It feels, yeah. But um, anyway, uh, speaking yeah. along those lines of Inquire Anomalous, right? Yes. Um, yeah, we have. Yeah, we've got a, a new conference coming up. It'll be our fourth. You know, we had the first one back in October of last year. Yeah. Um, that was the very first one, and Gary Nolan was the, was the headlining speaker at that event. Mm -hmm. We had other people like Mitch Horowitz there. Uh, and that was really fun. And Darren King, uh, others, um, he didn't even, he hadn't even revealed his full name at that point. Um, yeah. So that was, that was tricky for the bill. Um, kind of made it look like we had a transformer on stage, um, but, um, but it was good. And then, and then, uh, and then the second conference we had um, was, boy, was that star, star studded. We had Chris Mellon and Leslie. That was the first time Leslie was really involved with this yeah. conference series and of course she's become more and more involved and um ralph blumenthal etc mm -hmm. jeff kripal was there um and then at the third one in april of this year um we had brandon fugel and gosh who else did ryan graves was there mm -hmm. before he before the house uap hearing um that wasn't even happening yet but there's a lot of energy happening around that in April. Um, Leslie was already working on the article with Dave Grush. Um, nobody knew that that was, I mean, most people didn't know. Almost everyone didn't know that that was happening at that point. It was a really exciting time to be doing something then. And, um, and now uh, here we are in December and we're going to be doing our fourth in 14 months, which is a pretty relentless pace, but Absolutely. I, and in some ways it matches the pace of, of these discoveries and the, the, the cultural conversation around these issues. I think um, we've kind of, it's, I think part of it is just recognizing that there needs to be more conversation like this on a regular basis. And that if yeah. somebody else isn't doing it, well, then by gosh, we have to do it. And I wish that more people would kind of come to it with that mindset. I think a lot of people, they get frustrated about wanting somebody to do something within this field. 
yeah, and yeah. and then they don't necessarily look at what their own skill set is and what they can bring to the field sometimes you know that's yeah. an important part development yeah. so i think um so anyway along those lines we're going to have a great we're going to have a great lineup you know we've got We've got Diana Walsh-Pasolka. We've got Tim Gallaudet, um, yeah. uh, Paul H. Smith, Peter Scafish, Joshua Cutchin, Mike Masters. And we have a special guest. We have a surprise guest uh, that I just announced this last weekend. Um, Alex Dietrich is going to be there as well. Um, so it's it's that. a pretty, yeah, That's so it's a pretty stellar. Uh, yeah, so it's a pretty stellar lineup. I'm, I'm really That's looking forward to it right yeah and then yeah and then leslie james and i are going to co-host and that'll be fun and leslie leslie's going to do kind of and it's now a tradition in a way for her to do a conversation with one of the speakers she did it with chris mellon and then yeah. uh last last time around she did it with brandon fugel and kurt Mungle both yeah, and yeah, so yeah, this yeah. time she's going to do a conversation on stage with alex dietrich and that'll be great That's so Wow. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I met, I only met Alex at, um, at Seoul just a few weeks ago. Okay. And she was so excited to hear about the conference in New York that she just jumped on the bill almost immediately. Really? Um, yeah, oh, I mean, it took, she thought about it for about, <laughs> I think she thought about it for about 22 hours. And then she was, she was all in. Oh. Um, <laughs> and um, she just wanted to come. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. Leslie, Leslie said, well, why don't you ask her if she wants to do something? And so I got up the courage and approached her again. And she was very, she, I don't want to overcharacterize her or mischaracterize her, but she's very interested. So, and that's going to be really fun. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, and, um, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I mean, it's, a, again, it's a fantastic lineup. And ever since the first time, the first time we met was, when you mm. were talking about the first one last October, October 22. And, uh, you know, I think I said then, every time you uh, come on to Paranormal Blip, I said the same thing, but you just mentioned it. So, of course, you're setting up for me to say, you know, the thing that I love about you in this regard, and James, is that you're, and also the other folks that were kind of, you know, there at the beginning, is your get up and go. And actually, you know, Kelly, who's there at the beginning, is you're working with her again this idea that you know you don't wait for other people you do it yourself that is so important and it's so inspiring like generally speaking but also in this field you know so i absolutely love that and i know that we've spoken in the past about the you know the ridiculousness of having to stage this in new york with all of the competing tensions and you know difficulties and you know the um just the, the the stress of it you know in in some ways in terms of actually being the people responsible for staging something like that and then of mm -hmm. course at the the other side of that and it must be lovely for you to experience these moments is that when someone like Alex Dietrich hears about it hears it's happening and can't wait to get involved you know so that's it's testament to you and the work that you've put in these last 14 months that you're at that stage now where that those kind of things can happen so that's wonderful to hear, Jay. Now, I've got my tickets and I've been uh, kind of a live stream participant of uh, all mm -hmm. of these. And I've got my ticket for, for uh, Saturday, Saturday the 9th. And are there that's still right. live stream kind of slots, as it were? 
There yeah. are, yes. Yeah. yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, I, 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 I hope that we can put a link course, uh, in, yeah. in your notes and things like that for it. Yeah, it's, um, uh, we've got, we have more. We, as is our tradition at this point, um, so far for each conference, we've limited the live stream to 500 participants yeah. um, to help ensure kind of a more quality, intimate experience that, that kind of more accurately reflects what's actually happening in the room. I've been, I think many of us that have, are used to doing live streams have been in situations where thousands of people have been there and involved and it's really hard to be heard. It's really hard to ask questions and things yeah. like that, yeah. or have conversations when it's just kind of a blur of text in the chat. Yeah. And so with these conferences, I mean, one important aspect that you know is that, that people in person and online we build in a lot of time and we've built in more and more with each conference. We've built in more time for questions and answers uh, because we recognize that we have an incredibly high level of participants. But, I mean, it's a very thoughtful, bright group of people that attend these events. Mm. And that's partially by design, right? We just, we tried to make like this kind of beautiful, uh, situation just for the most cerebral eggheads in the field and and you know field of dream style like if you build it they come and, and magically it's been working out relatively well that way and so we have this situation where we have these bright minds attending and so we like having that conversation we write we like provoking that kind of conversation and so in general the format is people are going to be doing about a half hour for a talk or a presentation and about a half hour of q a Okay. And, okay. you know, th that and that can't happen every single time because sometimes we have to, you know, somebody runs long and we have to adjust the schedule cool. here or there or That's something cool. like that. But generally speaking, the kind of rule of thumb is about half the time on stage is a talk and about half the time is a Q&A. And then I try, I and James try to bounce equally between people asking questions in person and people in the live stream so that folks in the live stream can feel like active participants in, in the situation and be heard within the room itself. And I think that that's really important so that we can kind of broaden the community and hear from people uh, outside of the country and from different backgrounds and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And the, the highlight of my life, sorry, the second best moment of my life so far after the birth of my son <laughs> was when, <laughs> when on, you read out my question to Brandon Fugel, which is about how his uh, kind of business relationships, his business partners and, you know, people that he meets in these, uh, you know, kind of real estate deals, what they think of his, uh, you know, the kind of work he's doing in this space. And his mm -hmm. answer was absolutely brilliant. The whole thing was uh, like it's just under the birth of my son in terms of a kind of moment <laughs> of my life you know it was absolutely extraordinary answer well i'm glad story. you liked it it was i mean i really well it was a great answer. question and it, it provoked a, a great response too you yeah know, he so you really got him going i know you got really, a lot of energy out of him with that that's, that's good it, yeah, yeah. Really could fired him up but um yeah. the thing to do though audience is that like you know i'm kind of doing this leading up to it's only the ninth it's saturday night so you can't sit on your bum like not doing anything you got to get online i'll put the link in obviously i'll put the link in and you've got to get your live stream and then when you're watching you're thinking okay what's the blockbuster question that i want to ask so and it would be that's right just slightly down from the birth of your children 
<laughs> I, I can guarantee that. I can promise that. If you've got any problem with that, just see Jay. Right, so... <laughs> um, no, but thanks, I, I love thanks, that Pete. component. Thanks so like, much. Just, seriously, though, there is that sense of, you know, it isn't, oh, this is going on here, and I'm... Like, it really is that you really feel a part of it, you know? And you feel a part of the conversation that's happening in the kind of, in the you know, the chat, as they call it, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. all of the kind of online community. And you also feel very, very connected to what's happening uh, in New York. So, and that's an, uh, an unbelievable lineup. And again, you're doing this thing that you've always done, which is so important, where you're bringing people together from different uh, fields, you know, and making those connections from different fields, you know. So you've got people that's right. like... You know Michael P. Masters, who we and I, I know that you know our uh, audience know who these guys are. You know, mm. but you know, for mm -hmm. instance, you know Paul H. Smith, he brings something to it, which is he does. You know, I mean, the guys, the, there's so many legends here, man. Like he's a legend, you know. Yeah, yeah. Involved <laughs> in the remote in remote viewing, and part of the reason, I mean, I've enjoyed. I I hung out with Paul at the first Archives of the Impossible conference and. Uh -huh. We had a good time there. And then I saw him earlier this year at Contact in the Desert. And, you know, we were both speaking there and we both enjoyed doing that. It's wonderful to see him out in Palm Springs. And then Leslie and I were talking and, and um, I, I mean, first of all, it's one of the great pleasures of my life and a huge honor that, that I've gotten myself into a situation where where I'm very friendly with Leslie. I mean, she's a living legend and she's arguably done as much or more as much or the most for the field in terms of like pushing the ball forward than almost anyone yeah. living anyway. You know, I mean, between yeah. uh, ex exposing ATIP and the the cockpit videos david grush you know bringing out ryan graves introducing many people to lou elizondo and chris yeah. mellon and all these figures all the way back to the cometa report and really looking into like the kecksburg crash retrieval case back in the late night like looking at that case in the late 90s you know she's been at this for quite a while and she's been doing amazing consistent work for such a long time and and just knowing her and and i see that like i i've gotten <laughs> i've gotten a, a text from her just since we started recording like we talk almost every day and like uh -huh. when we're working on these events and it's incredible so anyway i love leslie i think she's amazing she's yeah. so brilliant and we were talking on the phone a while back and we were talking about like she's she mentioned it was something along the lines, I don't want to mischaracterize her, but it was along the lines of like, shouldn't, should we have somebody at the event that like might have, have muddy boots in their closet? You know, somebody that's done really groundwork, you know, somebody that's been out in the field, somebody that's kind of gotten, you know, that has, you know, dirt under their fingernails. And we looked at a few names and one of the names that we came up with was Paul H. Smith. And I'm really glad that he was able to do it this time. Um, because like you said, you know, he's, He's done significant work in the field. Um, it's really important, I think, for people to remember that that we're not just talking about ships that fly around in the sky, that, that there is a large range of issues related to anomalous phenomena. 
and that touches on so much. And remote viewing is one of these tethers between ufology and wider and the wider range of kind of ESP consciousness psi issues that are incredibly relevant because as any people as many people that have looked into the documentation of like the Stargate program, the programs at Stanford Research Institute, et cetera, there's there is a a, a jaw-dropping amount of substance to to the remote viewing topic and oh, the pursuit absolutely. of that. Yeah. There is. Absolutely. There absolutely is. And so and so being able to have somebody that has so much direct experience with that mm. and being able to speak on it from their experience, I think is really important to have involved in the conversation that day. Yeah, definitely. I'm a big fan of Dad Smith and I interviewed him uh, last year. Oh, sure. And, uh -huh. um, oh, yeah. I get along well with Daz, too. Yeah, yeah. Daz is amazing. And uh, I kind of follow his work with um, the crypto viewing group, uh, mm -hmm. which is like absolutely mm -hmm. extraordinary stuff. Um, and also, though, with go going back to Leslie Kane, um, you know, I when I have conversations, I'm kind of talking to people all the time about this. And the number of people that reference surviving death, which is on Netflix, mm -hmm. and it's been like, you know, it's this kind of foundation stone for quite a lot of people in terms of, um, you know, verifying, if you like, or, or kind of giving them confidence to talk about their own experiences, kind of through mm -hmm. the, the, you know, something that they know that I would have seen, you know, and something that it's a wonderful program that. And I think it's uh, kind of, you know, people kind of use successful, brilliant programs that, that does, you know, kind of, you know, different format, what you're doing, you know, one is on kind of physical mediumship and, you know, kind of, mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a whole kind of panoply of different uh, areas that she investigates in that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's really, you're absolutely right. She's done an enormous amount in this, in this uh, field, going back years and years and years. And it's really Absolutely. nice to know that there's something out there that's on Netflix, you know, that people that's refer right. to in conversation with people that are interested in, you know, kind of hearing about their own experiences. So I completely agree. So the, the, the main thing to come out of this podcast, uh, loyal <laughs> listener, is to get on the Internet and t uh, go to the link and join us on uh, on on uh, the 9th. The, I was going to say the night. Saturday, Saturday the night. That's right. Where you are in the world, uh -huh. of course. So for us, people in that's true. It is it is the evening, but for folks, yeah. In, what, uh, what time does it kick off in um, New York? In New York, it'll kick off at about ten thirty a.m. And so I think that is three three thirty for you, for okay, you guys. So that's yeah, is that right? Quite the evening. Yeah. Well, it's starting to get dark, yeah. more or less. But yeah, yeah it's uh, almost yeah. going to yeah. Yeah, 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 but you'll yeah. pop your popcorn and make sure you have some tea on the kettle, right? And uh, and tea water on the kettle. I don't know what you say. I don't know what you guys say over there. Yeah, but like, um, you know, I, I, that's exactly what you're okay. Saying. Yeah, uh, I feel like you're mocking me, but that's all right. That's that's all right. So, um, so, but uh, it's also important to remember, you know, people are going to be tuning in from places like Australia, East Asia, and things like that. And sometimes the time doesn't work, but we do send out a link. That's just that's a live stream link afterwards so that people can check out uh, what happened. And so people have a record of, yes. of the events afterwards. Yeah. Um, and um, and we will continue that. And in fact, 
I uh, was just talking to the AV team earlier this afternoon to ensure that we have the best live stream tech that we've ever had at one of these events and to ensure the the very best experience that we can possibly do um uh we want to continue to kind of to to top ourselves and sometimes it's easier to top yourselves than other times and so we're we're looking forward to to making a quality experience for those joining us online for sure well i'm really looking forward to it and also it's my dad's birthday as well on the ninth as well oh my gosh well happy birthday to him yeah Yeah, thank you so um now one thing that we spoke about this before we recorded uh i want to um hear what you think about essentially breaking news you know breaking all around Mm -hmm. us uh the uap disclosure act so this is the schumer you know the schumer Mm -hmm. bill and it's kind of transferring into you know how much of it is going to get how much of his amendment is going to get into uh law and there's been a whole you know i'm sure my audience know all about it but essentially this has been this this kind of massive pushback by a couple of republican um you know uh, mm-hmm. lawmakers and you know the defense departments you know generally speaking mm-hmm. i think it's kind of fair to say um and then uh Look, I just I've got I wrote it down this tweet yeah so this is a tweet mm-hmm. from Ross Coulthard so he sent it at around about um maybe what uh, just over an hour and a half ago an hour and 40 minutes ago and this is replying to Christopher Sharp you know Britain's own Christopher mm-hmm. Sharp and um Ross says I'm told it's all over the UAP disclosure act has been gutted no eminent domain no UAP records review board at Department of Defense has won the battle to gag the public from being informed with the help of key Republicans. So what do you think? What do you think of that, Joe? I mean, I think that it's a, in some ways it's a shame to, um, that, that there was a lot of potential in the language that was put out. I think that even just the proposed language um, should continuously, even if it, even if and when it does not pass, um, if that's the case, I think that for we should point back to that document because it's right there. And how many times it referred to material, how many times it referred to non-human intelligence and things like that. Mm-hmm. It was all spelled out in the document. I mean, it all but told you that that the that there's a fundamental reality to this. And the yeah. fact that people have spent so much time and energy to try to shut it down is also very indicative. It doesn't take much brain power at all to rec- to read that document and realize how much energy was put into shutting it down from the representative from the area of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, by the way, leading the charge. You know, a lot of people thought for years, oh, there's nothing to it. Then why not pass the bill? Why not pass the bill and show people what's there? If there's nothing to it, then just show us what's there. But no, you know, we have to have this, this blocked. I mean, I think that in many ways, you know, actually shutting the Schumer down after seeing the language that was actually written there, it, in the end, historically, 
it might actually do more for us than less because i've i've noticed that some critics and skeptics you know since since the soul foundation symposium since there was there was risk of schumer getting shut down that have gotten a lot more quiet recently and i think that's that's because you know again it doesn't take much brain power to realize that what was written in that language and the 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 effort that was put into shutting it down now along those lines though i don't think no one piece of legislation is going to fix everything and i think that it's important to recognize that along the lines of what i was saying earlier like reclaiming our agency and, and like doing things ourselves is as important if not much more important than than crossing our fingers and hoping that politicians in Washington DC do the right thing because they have a historical you know track record of not necessarily doing the right thing or not necessarily doing it in a in a decent time span you know what i mean or you know without getting into partisanship and things like that you know coming from your perspective looking at the united states it's it's easy to recognize that we we have a we have a system that lacks fundamental healthcare perfection perfect you know uh, a system we don't have a good healthcare system we don't have you know a nationalized system for for education that can really benefit people we, you know you go to college and you have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt our, our minimum wage is the same that has been in in over a dozen years there's a lot of thing there's a lot of situations that you could point to in our country where we're falling behind and we're falling up behind a lot of other countries in the world, I think. And uh, I don't think that's a controversial position at all. And that, um, you know, all you have to do is look around for Americans. All you have to do is look around at, at, at what opportunities you've lost and wh what's happened in the world and how much you, how much, how jaded are you about politics and the military in general? Um, and I think that it's unfortunate in some ways that ufology has been has been basically trained over 70 or 80 years to just root for whatever is happening in Washington, D.C. I think that's stupid. I, I don't think that that's an, a good way to go. First of all, it's not representative of world governments. It's not representative of anything but one particular aspect of Western culture um, that doesn't even take uh, necessarily like the five eyes into consideration or these other, the other English speaking governments. Right. And then there's everybody else in the world, but then there's all the other perspectives, you know, there's all the other perspectives. And if all you're doing is looking at things from a military perspective, you're essentially like a, a hammer that is only going to see nails. So you're only going to see the parts of the phenomenon, the parts of the issue that are relevant to what you're doing. And so even if we get those truths, they're going to be partial truths. They're going to be just an obscured or oblique representation of what's happening because they're only taking, you know, national security considerations, advanced technology and other things into account and maybe not necessarily looking at things from a more uh, a cultural anthropological logical, philosophical, hum humane perspective in terms of like interaction and psychology, personal psychology, other aspects like that, you know, because and at the end of the day, so much of this legislation and so much of what comes out is based around the craft. It's based around craft. It's based around uh, uh, retrievals and things like that. And it's fascinating. It's one it's you know, it's amazing to know that 
there's a fundamental reality to that. And at the same time, that's just the cars that some of these things drive. That's it. And imagine if something came to our, our planet and all they cared about was our Toyotas. They didn't even look at us. They didn't even follow us around. All they did is like grab our Toyotas and leave. That would be ridiculous. Why would they do that? That would be such a simple, reductive thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in many ways, you know, I, I'm not glad that, you know, it's a sad day for transparency issues. But at the same time, I think that many, many avenues need to happen from many perspectives and many backgrounds. Yeah. Many specialties need to need to be funded and, and need to move forward in, the, in their own ways. Um, because, again, with the hammer and nails comparison, we're seeing situations where if there's only if we're throwing all of our eggs or many of our eggs into one or two baskets, they can still nail, they can still, you know, hammer those nails, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, Jay. I totally agree with you. Uh, however, the idea that, so Danny, Danny Sheehan was talking to James at Iron Lily the other day, this absolutely extraordinary interview that he gave to James. And um, he, it was packed full of amazing stuff. But one of the things he was talking about was about him and his, I forgot what they're called, but his um, foundation. Um, new Paradigm Institute, that's I right. believe. Yeah, is exactly. New, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, being one of the bodies that are looking at people for this, this kind of board of nine people. Yeah. And so that mm -hmm. the, he said there would be a kind of military, you know, kind of person on that, on that board. He's quite happy for that. Mm -hmm. That's one of, you know, there's another eight seats. You know, so then you bring mm -hmm. in the other people, you know, the anthropologists and whoever else, you know, um, mm -hmm. and the idea, I mean, I suppose, you know, it comes down to uh, like, like, who is it? And in fact, you know, Grush himself has said this, you know, it's not, he says things like, it's not for me to say this, it's for the president to say this, you know. I'm happy to give kind of general and I've been, you know, kind of mandated or whatever, kind of given permission to say general things. But in terms of the specifics, that's not my role. Yeah, it's for the mm -hmm. president to do this. And I suppose that there's a kind of like a general sense that um, you want something to kind of feed into a hierarchy that may well be distrusted by many people. I mean, I live in the UK, yeah? So we don't just mm -hmm. talk about how unpopular Rishi Sunak is, you know, so, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So compared yeah. to, I know Biden's sinking, but Sunak is got, got nothing on Sunak, you know? Um, but the, the idea that there must be some kind of hierarchy where, or some kind of, you know, spokesperson that most people, again, even if it's just the media and half of the people think, oh, well, this is all load of old nonsense. I didn't vote for him in the first place. But, you know, some person is going to stand up there and at some point say, you know, this is this is what we have, you know. So I suppose if you kind of go along with the um, the, the structure and the kind of timeline of the of the Schumer amendment, you know, you were going to get to 2030, you're going to get to this point where, um, you know, the seven years has passed and whatever else. And you've got this this stage where with eminent domain, with all of the other things in place, um, you know, you've got a, quite a bit of uh, stuff cleared to be, like, you know, documents and evidence cleared to be made public. 
And then it opens mm -hmm. up this space for somebody to do that, for a president in the future to, to, mm -hmm. to do that, with the hope, I imagine, that some people are going to pay attention to that. You know what I mean? And of course, I totally yeah. get where you're... I mean, this whole you know, conversation is a celebration of what you are doing. You're not saying, I'm going to wait for the government to do it. You're getting on with it yourself, you know? And yet, at the same time, I suppose that there is a kind of argument there about, you know, how how do you... I mean, I suppose it's to do with... Because I've said all along, like, I've, it's not to do with convincing me. It's obviously not to do with convincing you. So what is mm -hmm. the purpose, I suppose, of the Schumer Amendment? And what is the purpose of this kind of Council of Nine or whatever you want to call it? You know, what it's a the, great... It's a... You know it's I mean? a great question. It's like, a great who they, question. Who um, is trying to be convinced, if you like? Well, I mean, I think that... But what's the kind of... Yeah, like I say, what's the purpose? Well, it, it's kind of... It's hard to say what the purpose is, really, in some ways, because it, it partially comes down to, you know, that particular piece of legislation, it, it, had a, it held a lot of potential. It holds a lot of potential... Um, but it also holds a lot of potential for things to be thwarted, like a lot of situations do. Like Arrow looked like it had a lot of potential as well. Um, yeah. But depending on who's actually overseeing it and who's actually running the show, it, it just potentially turns into a misinformation campaign. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And similarly, when people kind of brought up the Schumer and they say, oh, it'll be like the JFK situation. It's like, <laughs> that was a really weird reference point considering we still don't exactly know who else was involved in, in that murder, oh, yeah, um, you know, and that they've still, they're, they're still hiding documents from over 50 years, well over 50 years ago. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I do, I did see that there was, there were some aspects of the amendment that were not necessarily the greatest. Yeah. First of all, I mean, like one thing that Danny Sheehan was kind of pointing towards that I think is important for people to recognize and like, Generally speaking, like, you know, now that it's kind of like, it looks like it's not going so well, in part, I've, you know, it depends on who those nine people are, to a of huge course, degree, yeah. like what, who are these civil, you know, who are these civilians, and are they really civilians? Mm -hmm. Okay, like, along those lines, you know, Danny Sheehan was talking about certain people, and I don't want to like get into exactly who those people were, or where they work, or things like that. But there are people that are essentially civilians that are also consultants for defense contractors, mm -hmm. right? And so what if those nine civilians all work for three different defense contractors? How much truth would you really get out of a situation like that? Mm -hmm. How much would you expect? How much would be you, it'd be reasonable for you to expect? And then, you know, it, it's, it would remain to be seen whether you should be disappointed or elated at what would actually come from a situation like that. None of these situations are going to be a clean shot, you know, a clean half court, all net, no backboard basketball shot um, for like capital D disclosure. I think that even if the president of the United States, you know, uh, goes up and talks, you know, whether it's a Republican or whether it's a Democrat, typically, you know, we're so close to 50-50 politically within our country. And, you know, whoever it is, is typically slightly unpopular, even within their own, own party. And so depending on the, the day that Biden or a Trump or somebody like that goes up on stage, 
at best, they're, they might be like believed and listened to and approved of by maybe 45% of our population, much less the rest of the world, right? So how, you know, I'm sure that that would move the needle for, for some certain people, for sure. Absolutely. Of course it would. Um, but I mean, even that kind of hoop that people have been like waiting, you know, crossing their fingers for people to get through, of course, by nature, by, you know, by nature, it's going to be a politicized situation. It's going to be an over politicized situation and people are going to use it to their advantage, whether, whether they're one side or another side. And so it's going to get spun like everything in DC gets spun. And so I'm not, you know, I, I'm not waiting for Biden to tell me anything. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not waiting for a Trump to tell me anything either. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that that's a healthy way to approach life. I don't think that it's an accurate way to approach existence. And I think that it's deeply weird and kind of troubling that, you know, the maverick thinkers, almost everybody that's involved in ufology and anomalous studies, they think of themselves as independent thinkers. They think of themselves as mavericks. They think of themselves as people that think outside the box. But then we've been trained over years to just be waiting for the president to say something. It's ridiculous. It's silly. I mean, I, and I don't mean any offense, but like, I just think that like, that fundamentally we've been, we, we're being kind of defanged as thinkers yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in general. You know, and we need to re and like part of that is just to remember that like we don't necessarily have to depend on authority to get this get this done, to depend on our government to get the these done. Because depending on what town you live in in our country, maybe you can't even get the potholes on the road fixed. Mm. Much less, you know, hear something about this, right? So I hope that that makes a little bit of sense, you know. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It de definitely makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially in the context of, you know, politics has failed. You know, this is an example yeah. of politics failing, essentially, isn't it? Totally. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, let's, I mean, of course, we have to, I, th I don't think we have spoken, well, we haven't spoken since April, so lots has happened since April, including Grush, of course, and the testimony that he gave in, when was that, July? Mm -hmm. And in the lead up to that... There was lots mm -hmm. and lots of lead up to the, you know, uh, interview he gave with, um, with with Leslie, and then the interview he gave with Ross. Um, mm -hmm. You know, lots and lots of uh, rumor about somebody like Grush uh, coming out, and then he did come out, and then he, you know, they set up that uh, uh, hearing. Um, and it made waves, you know, it made news around the world. Um, and of course, you know, just, what was it, two weeks ago, he spoke to Joe Rogan. You know, he's done mm -hmm. some long form interviews. Um, fascinating, absolutely fascinating uh, guy, like really interesting guy. And of course, the information is absolutely extraordinary. Um, what's your kind of take? I mean, just, you know, as, as you're here. Mm -hmm. It would be odd <laughs> if I didn't ask you. What's your sure. like? How do you think things have changed and like since we spoke last in April, in relation to Grush and and you know the kind of yeah? How do you see that? Well, I think the landscape's changed a bit. I mean, I I um a good bit. 
And I think it's still important to recognize like how important people like Dave Grush and people like Leslie and Ralph and Ross too. But, um, you know, Leslie, Leslie and Ralph broke that story. I remember at our, since you used the framing of the April conference, I knew that Leslie was working on a big story at that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were working in close proximity at the time like literally at the venue and things like this. And she was taking phone calls about the situation. And of course I can talk a little bit about that now, but of course I couldn't then. And I would never, you know, I, I enjoy being able to talk with her more openly about things, but even in a situation like that, she has to, she has to be incredibly careful about those kinds of stories for good reason, for good reason. And there are a lot of people in a lot of, people that work at, you know, major companies and maybe people that are involved in in certain work that wouldn't want to see a situation like that happen. And of course, since Grush came out, people, he's talked about retribution and threats and other people have as well. And I think that that's very real. Just as the crash retrieval programs uh, are very real, in in my view. And I I don't, I think that that's going to be seen as being an objectively true situation i don't think anybody that was in that room at the soul foundation you know even though we can't speak directly necessarily about some of the things that happened there uh nobody left that i don't think anybody left that situation thinking that there wasn't a fundamental reality to the crash retrieval program and even the recovery of bodies um i think that pretty much uh, yeah i i saw some so very sober reflections from people in that room that uh, publicly, anyway, uh, act as if they need to be skeptical of that situation. I saw a lot of kind of people turning pale over the course of those two days at certain points, given some fundamental realities that people were, were talking about. So along those lines, I think, you know, Dave Grush spoke by, by Zoom at, at, that, at the Soul Foundation conference, and it was great to see him. It was great to see him. I went down for the house hearing yeah, yeah. this summer. I was, I was, uh, I showed up early. And again, that's another situation. We started the podcast and we'll, we're close to ending the podcast with the same situation where it's like some people, some people I saw online were like, how did he get in? And I was, it's, it was tenacity. I, I was wait, I, I showed up at three in the morning the night before <laughs> and I waited to get into that room. it's it's not because it's not because i i had some like golden ticket willy wonka style or something like that it's because i was literally sitting out there with people like randy nickerson who was napping through the night uh (laughs) to be able to get into the room that's how we got into the room yeah yeah, yeah. you know there was nothing special about that again like this is one of these things where it's like people get mad from not even trying to put in any effort and they need to recognize that that if they want to be make a difference, if they want to be heard, if they want to do something, it's incredibly important to put in the effort. And yeah. sometimes it's as simple as putting in the effort. And as many yeah, people absolutely. have said in the past, you know, how, more than half of life is showing up. You have to mm-hmm. show up. And that's not meant in a bad way. It's meant to be an empowering way. Anybody could be doing what these things. Yeah, anybody can be, <laughs> anybody you know, can be making a difference in the situation. All it, it just, a, it's a matter of like figuring out how to deal with your time 
and being methodical about things and to to really make a difference no matter how you you know and that that can that's true of anything it's not not just true for this field of course um so anyway like uh you know the house qap hearing was incredible to see and i i think it was amazing and there there are times where i look down and i i felt like you know i had goosebumps because of like the things that that dave was saying um, in front of all of these politicians and, and in that room with all these cameras around. And it was amazing just to recognize that. And later that day, I was hanging out with Randy Nickerson again and Jordan, uh, my, my friend who I'm working on the show with, and some other folks. And, and we, were, we were hanging out in this hotel lounge and, and we look, there had been this, this uh, soccer match, this football match happening on screen on a TV over here. And then it switched over to the nightly news. And this was like a Spanish language broadcast. It was Univision, the Spanish language uh, uh, cable channel over here. And um, it flipped over to the news. And immediately there's this wide shot of the room. And we look over and we're like, hey, it's us. Look, you know, you could see all of us in the kind of the background of the shot for the most part. And it was like what a trippy world it is, you know, that it's like 11 o'clock that night. And it was, and at least for, for that moment on that particular channel, they were leading the news with it. And so, you know, I feel like a lot of people in this community, they don't, they don't necessarily, there are people that do, there are people that definitely recognize that, that movement is happening. And it's just that like, we have to push so hard to get, you know, we have to push like, five times as hard to 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 get like one unit you know further downfield right and and so people get frustrated but at the same time if you look at this year you know if you look at 2023 i think arguably i think arguably to me anyway it's it's the furthest we've come since 2017 certainly in terms of having an eventful year and and pushing the ball forward in the in this field yeah no doubt about it yeah no doubt about it at all I totally agree, Jay. Um, Well, listen, good Jay, I can't thank you enough for spending some time uh, with me this evening. And I've very much enjoyed seeing darkness fall over New York outside the window. Oh, and and it got dark over there too. Exactly. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's the winter edition, you know, so. Yeah. Thank you so much, Absolutely. It's a, it's a, always a huge pleasure to talk with you. I, I love speaking with you. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Um, you do great work. It's great to see you doing a podcast again. I, and I hope to see episode 70 and 71 in, in the near future. And um, I hope you have, I hope you and everybody that's listening today and in the future, in the near future, that you have happy holidays and that you enjoy this wonderful season that we have in front of us. Happy holidays, everyone. Go online. See you on Saturday online again in the live stream. Take care.